Hello and welcome to season two of Inform's Meet Her podcast. My name is Terry Barclay and I'm president and CEO of Inform, a nonprofit whose work includes highlighting and supporting diversity in business leadership. The Meet Her podcast series introduces listeners to women of accomplishment whose experiences and insights feed us all on our leadership journeys. And I am super excited that joining me today is Trina Scott, Chief Diversity Officer, Rock Ventures. And we are so proud that she is also a member of the Inforum Board of Directors. Welcome, Trina, and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Terry, it's such a pleasure to join you. <laughs> well, we have a lot of ground to cover, so let's jump right in. How do you encourage your team to think strategically about gender balance? It's a great question. You know, being the chief diversity officer for um, 30,000 team members, just under 100 companies, it's oh. important that, no, it's hard <laughs> to say, right? Uh, four major cities. But, but, you know, what we really try to think about, Terry, is not just one facet of diversity, uh, which is gender, but all facets of diversity. So um, we take a data-driven approach um, by looking at uh, making sure that our teams are balanced, not just from those um, outward identities that you might align with gender, race, ethnicity, age, tenure, but also um, from experience perspective. There's so many facets of diversity that are important to have balance on a team that we really try to look at that holistically. And we don't look at it just as, is this percentage versus that percentage? We actually look at it um, on, from a multitude of facets, um, especially when you think about intersectionality. You can look at one facet of diversity like gender and not take in the other facet like race and ethnicity. And you could be missing out on a major, major piece of um, value for a team. And so we look at it as a holistic um, approach. And we also look at it as a part of our DNA as we make decisions, as we make decisions on promotions, as we make decisions on hire. So it's, it's woven into everything that we do. Are we perfect at it? No, but it's really um, a dimension of our leadership that we've made a priority. So that's how we're approaching it, Terry. I, I just love that. And you know, one of the silver linings of this interesting time that we're in is I love that, that the whole word intersectionality and that concept has entered into our thinking in a more major way, because it's, it's spot on, you know, it's, it's um, such an important thing. So I hope we can talk a little bit more about that going forward. Um, what's your understanding of implicit bias? And how do you work on identifying and, and addressing your own hidden biases? Well, I'm going to get a little technical here and academic. Uh, uh, you know, Georgetown University defines implicit bias as um, something that operates outside of the person's awareness and can be in direct contradiction, contradiction to a person's exposed beliefs or values. And when you think about that, you say to yourself, well, what does that mean? Well, a lot of us, including myself, say, you know what, I don't have bias. I look at everybody as individuals. The reality is, is that we all come into a situation, we all have bias. And, you know, one of the things that is, is super important is for us to be aware of those biases. So um, our, our senior leadership team at the Family of Companies just recently read the book Hidden Bias, written by Dr. Uh, Banaji and Anthony Greenwald, uh, which explores the biases, the hidden biases that we all carry 
Um, and that, those biases relate to uh, a lifetime of exposure of cultural attitudes related to age, gender, race, ethnicity, religion, social class. I can go on and on and on. But one of the things I think is super important about um, bias, unconscious bias, is to make yourself conscious about it. So one of the tools that we've used, and it's out there, uh, Harvard has created the Implicit Association Test. And this provides insight into your hidden biases. So I think the first step is knowing and acknowledging those biases and then being able to address those head on. So some of the things that I do is recognizing that the bias that I carry into maybe an interview, um, knowing if I'm interviewing someone that may have some identities that um, are like mine, uh, recognizing that um, having those questions that are important that I ask each and every candidate, no matter how they identify, no matter what their experience is, is important. Ensuring that you recognize your bias, again, is the first step of awareness, but then being able to consciously address those over and over and over again is super important and valuable. So those are just a few tips that I have and how I try to address it. But I think every one of us should recognize that we all carry bias and, and really work hard at trying to um, address those biases and acknowledge them uh, so that you can um, work against them. It's like trying to trick your mind, Terry, of, of those things that you say to yourself you don't have, but really you do. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I think it's such an important concept. I, I remember the first time in my career when I had that aha moment you know, because I like to think I'm a good person, <laughs> you know, this word doing all the right things. But I remember the first time I had that aha moment of realizing I, I have bias and I was completely unaware of, of that. And you're so right. What's great about this is it's, it's not anybody's fault, but it is our responsibility to work at recognizing and, and continuing to address it. And it's a lifelong commitment. I mean, it, it never stops, right? It never stops. It never <laughs> stops. I mean, you know, I think about it in my parenting. I think about it in my relationships, both personally and professionally. I think it's something that uh, has to stay top of mind in order to, you know, really, like I said, work your mind against itself. Something that I try to do, am I perfect at it? No, but not trying to be perfect, just trying to be purposeful. There you go. Oh, that's a good one. Um, thank you for those tools that you shared uh, also, by the way. So now this, this next question is one that I think you are the perfect person to address. Um, how does the rapid pace of change within your organization and the industry affect your leadership style? And can you share a story about a time when you had to adapt to or implement real change? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm gonna, this will be a long answer, Terry. So feel free to, to jump in at any time. Um, first of all, I, I'm, a, I'm a certified fraud examiner, meaning um, early in my career, um, I was an investigator. Um, and when you are an investigator um, um, of processes uh, and policies, uh, you have to be nimble and act quickly. Um, so adaptability um, being able to move quickly and to change is, was vital. And so building those skill sets very early on in my career was important. But nothing can prepare you for uh, what I feel that, uh, you know, we experienced this year uh, through the middle of a pandemic, through the middle of a racial uprising, 
and uh, the company that I, I, I so proudly work for, uh, we went public after 35 years of being private, uh, privately held company. You talk about change happening rapidly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was just going to say, how is it going public in the middle of a pandemic? Oh What's goodness. that like? <laughs> yes. Um, let me tell you, it is exhilarating and fascinating, but it's also very challenging. Um, but I, the thing that I guess I hold true to are the values that, you know, I personally have and the values that the organization um, at, at, at the family of companies that we have, you know, Dan Gilbert, our chairman and founder, uh, really set the principles. He calls them the isms. There are 20 of them. Um, but those things really carry through when you think about your culture and when you think about what are the principles you stand on, no matter if things are moving slowly or if things are moving fastly. I mean, right now we're a mortgage company. We're the number one lender in the country and interest rates are at the lowest. But as you and I talked about before we went live, you know, but there are also many people who are struggling to be able to make their payments. Um, and so balancing those two out has been um, so important to keep in mind that we are talking to individuals, um, humans that are making real life decisions on things that they're doing, not just our clients, but also our team members. Um, changing from an environment that was very collegial, that was very um, uh, communicative, you know, communicating, uh, being very in close quarters, and now everyone being at home, uh, that's been a big change. So first, acknowledging how people are feeling, um, addressing that has been very important. And you asked the question about, you know, how are you adaptable to change and how do you lead through change? I think the most important thing for me has been to build solid relationships with people. And I, I pride myself on doing that with my team. I pride myself on doing that with my colleagues. I pride myself on doing that with people who don't report to me. Um, and so building relationships, I think, is the foundation. Uh, the second thing is really to uh, be transparent and to share the why rationale for the things that you're doing, um, whether it be the changes that are being made, whether people agree with them or not, but being very honest and transparent, I think is important because that builds trust. And then the last thing I would say is just acknowledging the feelings that people will have. You know, some of the things that I've done, Terry, is really, um, and it's a team member, uh, Jamila Sherman, that brought this to my team about two years ago of starting every meeting off with one low and one high. And the way that we do that is, um, is I didn't realize how important this, uh, this one small little value would be, but it's allowed me to be vulnerable with my team and to be personal about things that I wanna share, but also giving them the open door to do the same. And we don't force people to share, um, but it has given us a way to learn a little bit more about each other and not make some assumptions about if someone's showing up and they're not showing up like they usually do. Or if someone's not speaking up like they usually do, not making assumptions because they've shared how they feel. So, you know, just giving an example of that, like one low is, you know, it's still on the ground here in Michigan. That's a low for me. I don't like it. <laughs> I like the sunshine, but the sunshine is coming through. And so, you know, it, my low is that it's snow, it was snowing, but my high is that there's sunshine today. And that just gives <laughs> some insight of how I feel, but it also allows my team members to give insight to me about how they feel. Now we're starting on equal ground with one another to be able to establish this real feeling about, you know what, Trina's not feeling so good today because this is 
how this is what she explained to us that she's feeling. So I'm not going to make assumptions about maybe how she's addressing or showing up. And so I think those things are valuable. I don't mean to go on and on and on, but those are some of the things that I think are super important to lead in the middle of change. But it's not something that you can do when you're in the middle of change. You have to establish those principles. You have to establish those values up front and building relationships is the key. Wow, that is such great advice. And I really appreciate the specific examples because, you know, sometimes it seems like we talk about these concepts, but then you have to get down, well, how do you do it? You know, how do you, how do you really, really make it happen? So thank you for those. And you've been talking about uh, this, but group dynamics are so important, right? So how do you go about assessing whether a group will work well together and um, are there other additional tips you have for what a leader can do to ensure that? You've well, shared a number of really good ones. You know, uh, part of, I think, group dynamics is, one, understanding as a leader um, what the outcome is. Um, our marketing team does a great job of this, foreshadowing, like, the press release. Like, before you get the thing done, what do you what are you trying to accomplish? So, foreshadowing with a, t- a group of what the goals are are important. And I think that, um, you know, as a leader, it's important to set the tone in that way. Um, but then I think it's really important to understand individually why each, why each person is there and establishing that amongst the group, um, giving um, an opportunity for each individual uh, to be able to know why they were included. And that offers them the value to say, you are here for a reason and a purpose. And that also sets the tone for everyone else. And the last thing I'll say is that making sure that each individual contributes and how do you do that? Um, I, this is a lesson I learned when I worked at Ernst & Young and I carry with me um, is that when we, when we would do hold interviewing um, uh, sessions, uh, we would interview as uh, individuals and then we come together and evaluate. And we always started with the person who was the lowest rank. And, um, and that set the tone for them to be able to share what their experience was with that candidate and not be uh, influenced by someone who was senior by them. And I take that with me in every situation. I always try to think about, you know, uh, we, we try not to think about titles and rank and all that other stuff. But the reality is when, when people aren't as experienced, when people don't have the same titles, that they may not have the same feel the same um, importance of their contributions. And so ensuring that you give every single person that opportunity to put, give their input is invaluable. So what I try to do is make sure that each and every person has an opportunity to provide their input and their why behind it, giving that safe space for folks to be able to share their perspective. And then at the end of the day, bringing all those components together where we collectively come out with an outcome as opposed to the individual. Um, I think those things are invaluable to bring to to, uh, group dynamics. And it's not easy to do. It's something that you actually have to to work at each and every time, each and every time of meeting, each and every time of the contribution. And and I think as a leader, it's imperative that we do that. Um, For me, you know, not just saying that I'm a servant leader, but showing that um, um, that serves, you know, that solitude to my team, but also showing that I'm in the trenches with them is, is important. And so those are just a few things that I try to do when uh, having group dynamics and really trying to challenge the outcome. I feel that 
there's a lot of research that's out there about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But one of the things that I think is super important is, uh, is really understanding that if you have a monolithic point of view, then you're not going to get the most innovative uh, dynamic outcome. And so thinking about it from, uh, you know, those what I would call unusual suspects or the people that you generally wouldn't bring into play is important. Uh, we're reading a book, uh, Terry, right now called The Medici Effect, written by Franz Johansson. And uh, it talks about breaking down associative barriers and um, really challenging the status quo of things. And it gives so many examples. Uh, Franz is just dynamic. I've actually had a chance to talk with him and learn from him. Um, but he just talks about like shaking the paint, putting um, two very different groups together uh, to solve a problem. And it, it, it really crystallizes the whole point about inclusionary practices, diverse perspectives. And, and, and part of our principles at the family of companies is, you know, innovation is rewarded, but execution is worship. So if we're trying to be innovative and we're trying to reward people for doing that, but we're not taking that innovation and actually putting it into use, then it actually, I think, um, does a disservice to those that are involved. So those are just a few tips that I have. Um, and those are some of the things that we've been working on as a senior leadership team within the family of companies. I really appreciate that you're sharing some of the things you're reading and those resources that our listeners can go go back to. And we'll be sure to post those books on our website as well. But, I, you know, my follow-up question to this one is really, if, if you don't mind one, um, you know, the whole introvert extrovert aspect, um, I, I can see, how do you deal with that in the group dynamics, especially if you're starting with more junior people who might also be introverts, you know, do you, how do you draw them out? Yeah, I think it's important to understand. And, and um, my team will tell you that we're really trying to work through this. I'm an extreme extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, uh, when, when we first went to this working from home environment, um, we met every single day. Every morning, uh, I thought it was important that we, you know, that we had a chance to see each other, that we had a chance to talk to each other. And I remember uh, one of my team members uh, texted me on the side and said, hey, can you call me later? And I said, yes, of course. And I, I called her right away. And she said to me, you know, Trina, meeting every day, like that might be good for you, but it's not good for all of us. And I yeah. said, okay. And, um, and I think it's important to and I'm going to keep leaning on this, Terry, it's important to establish relationships so that you understand how each individual operates. And, and being a servant leader, at least trying to be a servant leader, um, which is what I'm, I try to do each and every day, is that I really try to pride myself on knowing each one of my team members so that I don't push off uh, who I am to others, but I appreciate who they are and what they bring to the table. So I think that, you know, this piece about knowing the folks that you work with, that is more important than, and just as important as executing on whatever it is, the role and responsibility is of your team or each individual. So, um, so first is to understand what each person, how each person operates. And so there are tools that are out there that you know, folks can use, um, you know, uh, to evaluate how people um, think, uh, how they operate. Uh, but I think the most important thing is, is creating um, relationships. And that doesn't mean that everybody's going to walk away and be BFFs. That's not the goal. 
But the goal is to be able to establish who each individual is because you know, the experiences that we all bring each and every day to work um, really drive how we are and how we show up. And so again, not making assumptions about that and not just relying on their experiences that maybe you've seen on a resume or how they delivered on a project, but really getting to know how they operate and how they think is, is important because that will then help you lead um, better and not just lead from a way that maybe has worked with another team, but may not work for this one. So I hope that answers your question, uh, but I really believe that establishing relationships is the key to every single thing that you do, whether it be for internal clients, whether it be for external clients, whether it be for personal relationships or whether it be for um, you know, professional relationships, you have to establish um, 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 some type of relationship with those individuals in order to move forward in whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. And it sounds like trust is a really key part of those relationships and establishing those relationships. Are there any, is, do you have any advice for us on or examples of how you've built trust in the past and why you think it worked? Oh, man. Well, you know, coming into um, this organization, um, it, it was it was a challenge. I had been at uh, Ernst & Young for 10 years and uh, really was, uh, I felt like living uh, my jam. You know, it's always, this is my favorite coin uh, 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 saying is finding your jam. It's from a friend of mine a long time ago that said that. And, you know, what it really means is finding your purpose. And I felt like I was living my purpose at EY. And I was, um, I was hesitant uh, to leave, um, but uh, I just felt like it was a greater opportunity for uh, me to uh, go into a role of, uh, you know, focused on people and culture. Um, and so I felt like this was going to be the greatest challenge of my career, both personally and professionally, being a native Detroiter with uh, the family of companies, Quicken Loans, and the family of companies being in the city of Detroit, arguably the um, most densely populated Black city. I'm a Black woman. Yep. Um, and coming into an organization at the time that was 31 years old, privately held, um, many of the uh, leaders and team members had been here for most of their career. Yeah. And so coming in as an experienced leader, and coming into what I like to say, shake the paint, but really, um, you know, challenge the status quo uh, is not easy. Um, and so, um, especially, I might add, if I can interrupt you, I mean, I think that that the company has a reputation of having a very strong um, and somewhat unique culture, and so you're walking into that too. No doubt about it, and um, and really. <laughs> and really challenging, you know, the dynamics of the culture. Um, and before you can do that, and I, and I learned this, I think early on of being a leader at 25 years old and, and, and leading people that were, you know, twice my age, uh, really leaning on the value of what others knew and what I didn't know, but also leaning on the value of why I was put in this role, why I was brought into that. So having that balance. So, you know, I think the first thing is understanding and appreciating the history and, and understanding and appreciating uh, all the contributions that uh, folks have brought to uh, the organization was important. Acknowledging that, 
um, before coming in saying, this is wrong, that is wrong, this needs to be changed, that needs to be done, really uh, appreciating what others had established before coming in to say, hey, maybe we have some opportunity for enhancement here, or maybe we should do this differently. So I spent you know, the first six months, honestly, just trying to learn the business. And I think that comes from being a former auditor, a former investigator. Uh, you got to know the process first before you can figure out where your opportunities are. And so, um, so I think that, you know, in that trying to figure it out and trying to understand is where you're really building relationships, where you're building trust with individuals. And so um, part of that too is also uh, seeking out those people. And, and Tanya Allen, the CEO of the Skillman Foundation is my mentor and a friend. Um, she always, she said to me that you got to find a Sherpa. You got to find someone who will help guide you through the mountains. And so, um, so I took that as I needed to establish relationships, not just with people that I work directly with, but, but, but as I said earlier, you know, those unusual suspects, suspects, people that maybe I would never work with or that I hadn't come across and building relationships with them so that they could help guide me through. And I, I, I encourage everyone to think about, you know, how can you find your Sherpa in an environment uh, where you are that will help you start to navigate those waters, but more importantly, will start to help establish trust. You know, you talk about that with sponsorship programs or mentorship programs, but it really is something that you don't have to be in a formal a formal program like that in order to be able to start to navigate those uh, maybe uncomfortable waters or waters that you don't know about when you are able to establish a relationship with someone who can help you through that process. Mm -hmm. So I hope that that's uh, helpful information, uh, Terry. Sometimes I start talking and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. So oh, no, you <laughs> absolutely, absolutely are. Although I am curious if as a black woman, were are there are there added or special elements to that trust identification or trust establishment process? I mean, well, I think as we talked about earlier with one of your questions about implicit bias, unconscious bias. I think that um, I always come in, and this I attribute to my parents. Um, is my parents raised. Um, my sisters and my brother and I as individuals and not as, not as women or men or black women, black men, um, they raise us as individuals. And while those, uh, those values are important and they absolutely shape who I am, I don't lead in with uh, thinking others are thinking that about me. And, mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is that I recognize who I am and I, and I try to establish who I am with each individual, not just on what they see aesthetically or what they may know about me from a um, genetic standpoint, but establishing who I am by building, again, those relationships. And so as a Black woman, um, it, is, it is, you know, early on in my career, it was really challenging. Um, oftentimes I found myself in boardrooms that, you know, there were people that did not look like me at all. Um, and so I, I just leaned on the values that my, my parents had set for me about understanding why you are at the table and not having someone have to continue to tell you why, but knowing that you've been brought to that table for a reason. And I've leaned on that in situations where 
you know, I looked around and I didn't see maybe other people that I could turn to um, that would give me that confidence. I actually uh, tried to build that confidence over time yeah. with establishing very, um, I, I would say, delivering on the things that I was set to do. Um, and so I think that that helps to dispel some of those stereotypes that people walk into, those unconscious bias that we all have, um, just by establishing, again, those relationships, yeah. but also being able to execute on the things that you are responsible for. That builds trust big time. Um, and I remember a partner at EY telling me that people um, don't remember when you say no, they actually remember when you say yes and you don't do it till your fullest and no. you deliver a half product. And it was a more colorful words that that person used, but it stuck with me. And it has, it has led me to this place of, if I say yes to something, that means I have to execute with excellence. And so that's kind of, that's how I approach, it's not kind of, that's how I approach every situation. And I really don't allow for others' stereotypes or biases to, um, to lead, you know, to, to influence how I lead or influence how I show up. I show up based off of the, the experience that I bring, the um, confidence that I bring. And when that gets shook, I lean back on, I'm there for a reason because of the, of the, of the qualities that I bring to the table. Mm -hmm. Well, and all I have to say is bless your parents because uh, I think anyone who knows you sees the truth and what you're saying about what you bring. Uh, when when you walk in the room I think it shines I think it shines through um, so thank you so much for that tip so so one more question in this section do you have a favorite quote you'd like to share I have two so oh, my, favorite, my favorite one um, is life begins at the end of your comfort zone I, I am a graduate of Oakland University and um, and last year I had the distinct pleasure of delivering the commencement speech. And um, it was it was the pinnacle of like anything that I could ever think of. Never in a million years did I think this, you know, average student who, um, you know, went through the school of business. Um, I think of myself as not the scholarly person, but really, again, just an average student. Um, who played uh, sport, I played basketball, and I uh, did not finish my four years of basketball. It took me five years of, of, to graduate. And here I was, you know, 20 years later, delivering the commencement speech in the gym that <laughs> I didn't complete my eligibility for. And it was like, it was like this crazy situation that um, all I could think about was life actually begins when you're not comfortable. And part of my, 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 my commencement speech address was around not just finding your jam, but also getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so that's why that's one of my favorite quotes is that the moment that I feel like I'm too comfortable, I really challenge myself on doing something different. And, and that might not be like wholly changing your career, which I've done, or changing companies, which I've done. Um, it might just be doing, you know, doing something a little bit different that challenges you of being too comfortable, which can also lead to complacency. 
And so that's why that's one of my favorite quotes. But just recently, um, a dear friend of mine who I've made friends with uh, while being at the family of companies, her name is Kamari Yo. She was just named our chief learning officer. Um, her, her quote that she always talks about is structure determines behavior. And if you just think about that for a few minutes, you think structure determines behavior. And I go back to being a parent and I remember, you know, my mother telling me, cause I was, a, I was an older parent when I had our daughter, um, <clears throat> late thirties. And I remember calling my mom and saying, oh my God, mom, I don't know what I'm going to do every single day. She's looking at me. I'm looking at her. She was an infant. I didn't know what I was going to do. And she said, you know what, Trina, you got to create some structure. So even though she's not able to, you know, communicate verbally back to you, even though she's not walking yet, like let create a structure for her so that you guys can have a balance each and every day. So I would get up every day. I would change her clothes three times a day. I would obviously feed her on her feeding schedule. We had a, we had a sleeping schedule and I didn't realize that structure would actually create the, and determine the behavior that she had. Now, of course, parenting is one of those things that you can do all the structure that you want. <laughs> different. But, you know, when I think about it in those simple terms, and I think about that now and translating this structure determines behavior to my leadership style, to the things that I'm responsible for, man, it makes a lot of sense. When you don't have a lot of structure, and, and, and you're trying to figure out where things are going and leading in that way. Well, the behavior will be quite vastly different than if you have some structures and guardrails around things um, that also will determine how the behavior is. So those are why those are my two favorite, uh, my two favorite quotes. I know you only asked for one, but I had to give you both. Ah, oh, I, I love them both. <laughs> I love them both. And I really appreciate the explanation of, of them. Um, you've given me a lot to think about, and I'm sure, I'm sure our listeners as well. So before you go, can you share with us a story about um, how you used or even a time when you wish you'd used a key leadership competency and, and why that mattered? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, there's so many examples, um, but, you know, I don't think we do enough of this as sharing our opportunities, things that we may not have hit the ball out of the park with. So, you know, I'll share one. Well, well, before you do, let me say one of my favorite quotes is from Warren Bennis, where you trip is where the treasure lies. So ah, I love that. I'm gonna write so, that. so there you go. <laughs> Well, I, I just shared a lot with, uh, with you about my leadership style and, um, you know, the things that I try to implement. But, you know, I, I, I had uh, a few years back had lost sight of, of really having the ear of my team and listening to my team. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it was brought to my attention that were some dynamics that were happening. I had no clue about it. Oh my God, I think I didn't sleep for at least a month. And I remember going back to the team and being very vulnerable and, and telling them that I, um, that I, I apologize for not being aware, but more importantly, I asked them, how could they hold me accountable moving forward? And so one of the things that we've implemented um, is that not 360 um, feedback, but I hold not just our um, annual and biannual reviews, we have a mid-year review and an annual review, but I also have a review for myself. 
And I don't go in and ask them very uncomfortable questions. I actually ask them just open-ended questions about what things do you think that I'm strong at and I could continue to do? And what things that would you stop um, that I uh, currently do? And that's been just eye-opening for me. Um, it's been a very uh, comfortable way, I hope, for them to share their feedback with me. And also, uh, not just at those two times of the year, but establishing that type of rapport has been important. And so hopefully that gives me a chance to see those blind spots that I didn't see a few years back, but also give them a chance to help me continue to help to help me continue to grow. And so just doing those small little things, Terry, over the last, I would say, year or so has been important for me. But it also has been eye-opening in terms of, you know, you never, I don't care what level you're at or how you know, how high up you get or how big your bank account is, if you want to continue to grow, um, you've got to always recognize there's, there's opportunity for others to give you feedback. And so one of the principles that we have here is feedback is a gift. And, um, and, and it's easy to say it's hard to receive. And so creating, um, creating those platforms and those opportunities for people to be able to do so. And, and also for you as an individual, for me as an individual to be able to receive it back I think has been super important. And so it just goes back to what I said before, relationships, relationships, relationships. If you're not trying to build relationships with folks, um, then it's going to be really tough, whether you're a team member, whether you're an expert doer, whether you're a leader, um, you have to understand that relationships are invaluable. And so cultivating those relationships will be important to continue to grow and develop as individuals. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Trina, and for being candid and open and sharing some wonderful advice. It is my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for all that you've done with Inform. I said this to you before, but I want to say it publicly that you and your team have done an immensely uh, <laughs> uh, unbelievable job of being able to really be nimble and find the ways in which you can continue to deliver these important um, development opportunities for women to be able to continue to gain insight from um, and moving very quickly to do that. So I'm super proud to be a part of the INFORM board. And I, I, I'm just looking forward to the continued growth and the continued opportunities uh, that we will provide to all of us, um, both those that are a part of INFORM and those that haven't yet learn the value that Inform will bring, but I'm confident that we will continue to grow. So thank you for your leadership, Terry. No, oh, thank you so much, Trina. Um, the team will be really thrilled uh, because we are so blessed to have your leadership on our board. Um, <clears throat> well, that wraps up our podcast. We hope that you all will come back to informmichigan.org for more opportunities to meet her. And while you're there, check out season one, as well as Meet Him, a podcast series in which male leaders share what they've learned about the importance of diverse leadership. And don't forget to check out our growing library of video tips, virtual leadership development programming, and our calendar of events. Thank you. <music>